Good morning, again. Thanks to our song leaders and our uh, praise team and all of you who are on the praise team. Uh, it's been a really encouraging morning this morning. Appreciate those things that Okira shared with us uh, as we shared Lord's Supper together as well. My family claims that I am a difficult person to watch television or movies with. <laughs> and the reason why they claim that I am a difficult person to watch movies and TV with is because I feel compelled to point out things that don't make sense. <laughs> and I feel an obligation to point something out and say that would never happen in real life. Amen. This is crazy. And so I don't let those kind of moments go by. And because of that, my family doesn't really like watching movies with me or, or television shows. But, but I'll give you a couple examples of things that happen in the movies all the time that would never happen in real life. You know, you see people in the movie step into a shower and they turn the water on as they're standing under the nozzle. You know, they look up. What kind of lunatic does that? Right? <laughs> Everybody in the world reaches in and turns it on first. Then they wait and see if it's warm enough to step into. <laughs> Another thing that drives me crazy is on, on TV, on, in movies, when people are talking on the telephone, they never say goodbye. You ever notice that? Someone just makes a comment and then they hang up, which is so rude for one thing. <laughs> Plus, I would be like, I've got to call this guy back. i got questions. I wasn't finished with the conversation, but they always just hang up. Here's another thing that happens all the time. When the hero, the good guy, gets in a fight with all the bad guys, and there's like six of them and one of him, and they surround them, they fight one at a time. You ever <laughs> notice that? That would never happen in real life. Those six guys would all jump him, and he wouldn't have a chance. And then finally, because I just saw this last week, and I'm like, that is so crazy. You ever seen somebody gets a phone call, and the person calling says, do you see what happened? No, what? Turn on your TV. And the guy turns on his TV to a channel that's not, the, not a commercial. It's not sports. It's not leave it to beaver. It is always a newscast. And it's always talking about the very thing that that guy needs to know right then. You could try doing that the rest of your life. And you would never hit it just right like that, I'm telling you. And I see those things and it bothers me. It frustrates me. Because I realize that would never happen in real life. That is not the way that story would play out. It just wouldn't. So we're in a sermon series where we're talking about some things that Jesus said. And we're talking about some things that Jesus didn't say, but maybe sounds like he, he said. This morning, I want to focus on a statement that Jesus did, in fact, make. And in the statement, the person the statement is directed to had to think to himself, that's not how it's supposed to happen. That is not how this is supposed to play out. Something is wrong. And the person that it's directed to was a little bit confused. I think he was a little bit frustrated. In fact, I think Jesus is directing this statement to a person who, in a lot of ways, has hit a wall. So let's jump into the text. It's in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. 
When John heard in prison, this is, by the way, John the Baptist. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And that last statement that Jesus makes is the one I want to sort of hone in on this morning. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. Because it's that statement that gives me a little bit of heartburn. Because it seems like Jesus is opening the door of possibility that it's, it's possible to fall away, it's possible to lose your faith because of Jesus. What's Jesus talking about? What is going on here? Well, to get there, we need to get a little bit of context here, so we need to hit the pause button and rewind just for a minute. Uh, John the Baptist here is in prison, obviously. All four of the gospel writers uh, talk about John and his ministry. John was, still is, a very important person uh, in the gospel story. John was and is a very well-known person in Scripture, in Hebrew history. People today that don't know very much about the Bible, they've heard of John the Baptist. Everyone knows the name John the Baptist. When my brother was a little boy, Randy named the cat John the Baptist, <laughs> which says more about my brother than it does the cat, but even kids have heard the name John the Baptist. He, he was a well-known guy. Um, his father was a priest. But John didn't follow in his father's footsteps. In fact, he doesn't hang out at the temple when he's a little bit older. John is a different cat. He hangs out in the wilderness. He eats bugs and honey. He dresses differently. He is counterculture for sure. And he preaches a message of the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. You can read about it again in all four Gospels. He's a powerful speaker. He has a powerful message, and people are drawn to John the Baptist. John is attracting these huge crowds. In our Wednesday night class on Luke, Dave has mentioned, in fact, Chris, filling in for Dave last week, mentioned John the Baptist several times as we go through the book of Luke. John is preaching a message of the impending kingdom and a message of repentance. And again, he's drawing all these crowds. In fact, even Jesus comes to listen to John the Baptist speak. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and John understands exactly how this thing is supposed to play out. He recognizes Jesus for who he is, the Christ, the Messiah, and John knows how this is going to happen. Now that Jesus is on the scene, John has a pretty good idea of how this thing is going to unwind. So John recognizes Jesus. He begins to point his disciples to Jesus. John realizes that my ministry, John's, has to decrease while Jesus' ministry increases. And John is fine with that. He knows who Jesus is. He is sure of it. He's convicted. And sure enough, the crowd start peeling off of John. And, or, yeah, start peeling off of John, and they start following Jesus. 
But even though Jesus' public ministry has begun, John is still a force to be reckoned with. John continues to preach a message of the kingdom and a message of repentance, and John doesn't really care who he's talking to as far as those who uh, feel like maybe they're above the law of God. John talks to Herod Antipas about a sin that Herod Antipas was involved in. Herod Antipas was a guy who was kind of in charge of the region at that time. He was, he was in partnership with Rome. In a lot of ways, he represented Rome. He was like the big guy there. And Herod Antipas takes his brother Philip's wife for himself. And everybody knows it. Herod's not trying to hide this sin. He's not trying to you know, do it behind closed doors. Everybody knows that, that Herod Antipas now has his brother Philip's wife. Everybody's talking about it. But John the Baptist is the one who addresses it. He tells Herod, it's not lawful. You're breaking God's law to to live in this immoral condition, to live with your brother's wife. His brother's wife doesn't appreciate the fact that John the Baptist is calling them out. So Herodias has Herod put John the Baptist in prison. So John's in prison. And he doesn't know exactly where Jesus is, and he doesn't know exactly what Jesus is doing. Listen to this. The prison that John was held in was over 100 miles from where Jesus was teaching and preaching. So he gets bits and pieces of what Jesus is doing. He gets some some hearsay about what Jesus is up to while he is in prison. Look again at what Matthew tells us that John does when he hears about what Jesus is up to. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples. Now remember, he's sending his disciples on a hundred-mile journey, one way, by foot. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now scholars have long debated what was behind John's question here. What did John really want to know? What's really the question? What's really going on here? I am convinced John really wanted to know the answer to the question that he asked. Are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we be waiting for someone else? And my first reaction is, why in the world would John the Baptist question Jesus of Nazareth? If anybody knew who Jesus really was, it should have been John the Baptist. It was John who, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was John the Baptist who baptized, hence the name, Jesus. John saw the heavens open. He saw the Spirit of God come down in the form of a dove. He heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Shouldn't John... if as far as anybody, you know, shouldn't John know who Jesus is? What in the world is going on? Well, I think that John's frustrated. And I think John's a little bit confused. Because I believe that John believes this thing's not unwinding like I thought it would unwind. This thing's not happening like I imagined it would happen. And I think at this point in his life, I think for several really good reasons, John has hit a wall. John may have preached Jesus as the Messiah. 
He may have pointed the crowds to Jesus, but that doesn't mean that he's exempt from struggling with his faith from time to time. And I think that's what's going on here. I think John is struggling with his faith. And I think he's struggling with his faith for some of the very same reasons that we struggle with our faith sometimes. I think he hits the wall for a couple reasons. I think one of those reasons is unfulfilled expectations. Jesus, so far, wasn't doing what John expected the Messiah to do. If you look back, John's message was basically twofold. John said the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to baptize everyone with the Spirit. People who repent, repent, believe in him. He's going to baptize them with the Spirit. People who don't repent, he's going to baptize them with fire. Go back and read Luke chapter 3. But if you look closely at Jesus' ministry right here, right now, it doesn't seem like either one of those things is really going on very much. Spirit's not being poured out, not, not the way John imagined it would. And uh, there's not a whole lot of judgment going on. Now, we talked last week about the fact that Jesus was and is a judge, but not in the manner that the Jews expected the Messiah to come as a judge. Not, not here. Instead, Jesus seems to be preaching and teaching a message of love and a message of mercy. Not a whole lot of judgment. Um, Not yet. (laughs) He's not finished, but not yet. What Jesus hasn't been doing is unsettling to John the Baptist. John's experience reminds me that there are times when Jesus doesn't do what I expect him to do. And there are times when God doesn't do what I tell other people that God will do. Not that we can notice, at least. And we all know people who have walked away from God. They've walked away from the church, from the kingdom, because Jesus, God, didn't do what they expected him to do when they expected him to do it. They were going through a a struggle, they were going through a dry season in their life, and they had these expectations, and those expectations went unfulfilled. And so often in the context of those decisions uh, is a second reason why I think John the Baptist hit a wall, and that is a difficult experience. John has lived his life doing what God called him to do. Where did it get him? prison. He lived a a life that was hard. He didn't grow up in the temple. He grew up, uh, at least at an older age, he was in the desert. Again, he's eating bugs. He's dressed like kind of a different kind of guy. Um, But he's doing what God has called him to do. He is boldly proclaiming the coming of the Christ. Crowds of people are coming to him. And then Jesus shows up. And John takes a step back. And John humbles himself. And John points people to Jesus. But even though Jesus' ministry is still going on, John is still preaching a message of repentance. He shows no fear. He speaks truth to power. He challenges Herod Antipas about the immoral life that he is living. And guess what? After all of that, He's still in prison, and Herod is still in charge. And it doesn't appear 
that anything has changed. And all he hears about Jesus is mercy and healing. He hears Jesus' teaching about love. He hears that Jesus is talking about carrying a Roman soldier's stuff an extra mile. He hears that Jesus is saying that we should forgive people who really don't want to be forgiven, maybe don't deserve to be forgiven. He's hearing that Jesus is saying we need to love our enemies. That's what John is hearing about Jesus. And to make matters worse, Jesus is a hundred miles away. You know, we get in our minds sometimes what God should be doing. What God needs to be doing, because this is what's going on in my life. And we love God. And we love Jesus. And we're trying to be faithful. But we find ourselves in situations where, I don't know, I don't see anything happening. And Jesus seems so far away. So John has his disciples walk 100 miles to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Jesus' response. You go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Even Jesus' answer gives me a little bit of pause. Because why didn't Jesus just say, you go tell John, absolutely. Absolutely. You go tell John, I am the one. He's been right all along. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. You go tell John that. Why didn't Jesus say that? Well, he did say that. But he said so much more in his answer. Because what Jesus is doing here, he's using some coded language, okay? What Jesus is doing is quoting the prophet Isaiah. I mean, he is pulling it straight out of Scripture, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. And he is helping John to reconnect some dots. And when he quotes Isaiah, well, the message to John is one, I am the Christ, but the message is also, this thing is unwinding exactly like it's supposed to. His message to John the Baptist is, John, you got to trust me. I know what I'm doing. This is happening exactly like it needs to happen. You don't see it, not yet. And you won't see it to the other side. But trust me, this thing is happening. And it's happening exactly like it's supposed to happen. The blind receiving sight, the lame walking, leopards are being healed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, the good news being preached to the poor. John needed reminding that the judgment thing that he was so expecting that was one aspect of the Messiah's uh, work. Maybe John had lost sight of all the other things that Jesus showed up to do. Now, in a real sense, Jesus has yet to show up in judgment. Now, Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God. He's coming the next time as the Lion of Judah. He came the first time in mercy. He's going to come the next time in judgment. And he came the first time as a baby that could be easily dismissed. He's coming back as a king, and no one's going to dismiss that. No one's going to deny that. And yes, 
there was an aspect of Jesus' judge the first time, but again, it wasn't happening the way John the Baptist was sure it had to happen. John's in prison. And the people that he spoke out against, their immoral life, they're still in charge. So Jesus reminds him, there are other things that the Messiah came to do. And Jesus provides evidence that those things are happening. And then he says in, in verse 6, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And I think in that statement, it's what causes us to maybe stop and scratch our heads a little bit. That's the part that's a little bit disturbing. What did Jesus mean when he said, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me? Again, I think Jesus is saying an awful lot there. But one thing is, when you hit a wall, I think we need to remember Jesus acknowledges, following him, it's going to be hard. There's some hard things about being a follower of Jesus. Especially when Jesus isn't doing what we think he should be doing. Especially when he's not acting like we think he should be acting. There's going to be times when, when you have experiences in your life that are going to contradict your understanding of what Jesus means when he says, I'm Lord. Another thing that Jesus is saying in this statement is, if you stick with me, you're going to be blessed. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. Jesus is saying it's not going to be easy. I promise you, it is going to be so worth it. So, John's disciples return and give John that message. At least we assume they do. We don't have it in the text that they do, but we assume that John got that message from Jesus. We know that John continued to, to preach a message of righteous living because Herod is afraid to put him to death. But Herod does put him to death. He listens to a couple women in his life. And he has John the Baptist beheaded. And when Jesus hears about John's beheading, he is deeply <coughs> grieved. And Jesus wants to make sure that no one misunderstands the heart of John. In fact, you know who Jesus said was the greatest man that was ever born of woman? It wasn't Abraham. And it wasn't Moses. And it wasn't David. It was John the Baptist. Verse 11 I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus had a very high opinion of John. And I take great comfort from that fact. Because even when John doubted Jesus, Jesus didn't doubt John. John, I know what kind of heart you have. I know what kind of heart you have. You know, times when those doubts start creeping into my mind and, and I'm wondering, what's going on? Why is this happening like it should be happening? I take comfort in the fact that knowing that Jesus still hears my heart. So let me wrap this thing up with a couple quick so what's. You know, what's, what's, what's the application for us today? Here's one. When we hit a wall in our faith with Christ, we need to lean into Jesus, not push away. That's what John does. He leans into Jesus. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one? I need to know. Uh, are you the one? And so often when Jesus winds up allowing what, 
what I never thought would be allowed, when, when things happen that I didn't think should be happening, my inclination is I want to distance myself a little bit. I need to step back. I need to process this. And it's very tempting to push away from Jesus when instead I need to be leaning into Jesus. Read the book of Psalms sometime. Read some of the book of Psalms. It's the biggest book in there, you know. But read the Psalms. It's a collection of prayers. What you might not realize is out of the 150 Psalms, 99 of them are songs of complaint and lament. 99 of the Psalms are people pouring their heart out to God saying, this is hard. Things aren't going like I wish they were going. And for too many Christians, when God allows something to happen that they didn't understand, they, their tendency is to push away rather than lean in. I would encourage you, take a page out of John's book. Lean in to Jesus, which brings you to my second, so what? When we hit a wall with our faith in Jesus, we need the entire story of Scripture, not just part of it. Now you think about this. This is so great. Jesus has asked this question. And again, he could have said, yes, it's me. But instead, how does he answer John? He quotes Scripture. He answers John by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus believed in the power of Scripture to encourage people. Jesus believed in, in the power of Scripture to help people who have hit a wall spiritually. And he believed in all Scripture. All Scripture has been God-breathed. Because again, maybe John was just so focused on that one aspect of judgment that he was kind of missing the importance of all those other things that Jesus was doing and all those other things that were going on around him. I think sometimes we get so focused, and, and I'm not making excuses for that because, you know, when life gets hard, it's hard. And when we get overwhelmed, we're concentrating on what's overwhelming us. But sometimes we've got to get back in the Word. And we have to be maybe reminded of something that we've missed or something that we've forgotten. And we need to trust in the power of God's Word, the whole Word, the big picture of what God is up to. Third thing, when we hit a wall, we need the testimony of others concerning Jesus. Jesus told John's disciples, you go back and you tell John what you've seen and you tell John what you've heard. There are times when we desperately need the testimony of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. What they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, what they've learned. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful way. I think it's, it might be the most powerful way to point people to Jesus. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our we looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. We have talked at length over the past several months about what it means to be a witness for Jesus. You know what that involves? It involves more than taking out your Rolodex of scriptures. And I'm not against that. I'm a big fan of the Bible. But it takes more than just quoting scripture at people. We need to be in people's lives. We need to be bragging on Jesus. We need to tell people what Jesus has done for me, what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've experienced. 
I need to hear your Jesus story. You need to hear my Jesus story, which leads to my last, so what? When you hit a wall, you need a relationship with people who have been with Jesus. Because here's what's happened. When we hit a wall, when things aren't playing out like we think they should play out, again, the natural tendency, we're going to withdraw. We're going to isolate ourselves. Those doubts are creeping in. I'm going to take a step back. But I'm telling you, isolation and self-deception are best friends. If the pandemic taught us anything, we know that it is unhealthy to be apart from the body. And it is not a great place to be without the encouragement that we get from our brothers and sisters. That's why we've been so committed to this 242 focus that we've talked about for years now. We want to be in each other's lives. We want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Because Satan knows that when we're all alone, when we're isolated, when we're trying to figure it out by ourselves, we are extremely vulnerable. When we hit a wall, we need relationships with people who have been with Jesus. And the other side of that coin is, if we're going to encourage someone else, we better be spending time with Jesus. We need to be in the Word. We need to pay close attention to our prayer life. We need to be worshiping with our church family. As Christians, we need other Christians to be with us. We need to be with other Christians. My daughter Maggie told me not too long ago about waking up, being woken in the middle of the night. Her youngest son, Zeke, was trying to crawl in bed with her. And she said, Zeke, why aren't you in your own room? He said, it's dark in my room. And she said, well, buddy, it's dark in my room too. And Zeke told her, but I'm not all by myself in the dark when I'm in your room. I don't want to be all by myself in the dark. (laughs) I don't want to be with people that I love. And I want to be with people that I know love me. And I want to be with people who will give me some grace. I want to be with people who will give me some second chances. I want to be with people who are trying to imitate Jesus Christ. Listen, we all have unfulfilled expectations, okay? We do. We've seen life play out, and we scratch our heads and say, why is that happening? Because I don't think that should be happening. And we all have lived through really hard times. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably all in some form or fashion wondered, is Jesus really the one? Now, we believe that he's the Messiah. But we've probably wondered, I know I have, okay, what am I missing here? Is Jesus really the one that I need to be devoted to? That I really need to be focused on? Or is there something else? Be sure you hear what Jesus did say. Blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. When doubts start coming up in your mind, 
when you start wondering, is Jesus really the one? Is this really worth it? Be sure you hear Jesus saying, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. This thing is playing out exactly like it needs to play out. You stick with me and you will be blessed. If as a church family, we can bless you in any way, maybe pray with you about something, pray for you, um, something you want to share with your church family, we invite you to meet us down here at the front of the auditorium. And we're going to go ahead and be standing and we'll sing.